Colorado is coming back to the Big 12. What does that mean for the conference, and could more Pac-12 schools be on their way? Plus, fall camp kicks off for TCU football this week. The Frogs add some more recruits to the 2024 class, and basketball gets ready for some international travel. All that and more on this episode of Frogs Insider. Welcome into Frogs Insider, the official TCU podcast of the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am Jamie Plunkett here, as always, with Melissa Trebwasser, the newly minted T-Swift viewer, Melissa Trebwasser, breaking down everything you need to know about TCU athletics every single week. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to the Republic of Football Network wherever you get your podcasts. Along with ours, you'll get content from every other school in Texas that has a D1 football team. That includes Texas Tech, Baylor, UT, A&M, and schools like Rice, North Texas, Texas State, so on and so forth. If you just want TCU content, we've got a separate stream called Frogs Insider that you can also subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find us on the YouTubes and the Instagrams as Frogs Insider. So go follow us there as well. Um, Melissa. Jamie. I've got a sponsored read right now, but we haven't heard your voice yet. So yeah. You want me, you want me to talk about home field? Apparel? Why don't you hit, for those who don't know, we have a sponsor for this program. For those that do know, you know who the sponsor is. Melissa, take it away. Listen, Jamie, you and I both have given a large, significant, I, I think I've, I'm going to say it this way. I think I've spent more at home field apparel than I did going to go to Taylor Swift on Saturday night. So I think that, yeah, that, that just tells you where we're at with how much we love uh, home field. Um, You know, that home field apparel is a sponsor of frogs insiders podcast, as well as the entire Republic of football network uh, t-shirts, hoodies, quarter zips, and joggers home field apparel has the best designed, most comfortable clothing options for you to represent your home team, whether it's TCU, another big 12 school, or truly a large quantity of college football and other college athletics programs across the country. I know Jamie and I, as I said, have both have an absolute ton of home field apparel. Oh, Looks yeah. like you might be rocking one tonight. I the too na- am rocking one. I've got the nineties like grunge TCU shirt. So good. So awesome. good. But with but with the updated um, you know, Wakanda diamonds mm-hmm. too. So just a delightfully looking shirt. Um, I've got Hawaii. I even have some some other Texas schools, which I won't mention because I'm embarrassed that I, you know, supported them. Um, Tulane, that collection is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just dropped Oregon, which is an incredible collection. And there is some really cool stuff coming this week. And in, in fact, in our in our promo email this week, all they said was the college athletic department licensing division let us go truly wild with this one. So <laughs> if, if you've seen home field, you know, them saying something, let them go wild is really, really good. So um, if you want to get in the game with a good brand, use the, cro- the code frogs in 15 for 15% off your first order. If you are already a stand of home field apparel, you can still use frogs in 15 to get 10% off every subsequent order. Um, I'm thinking about putting in another another, uh, another little run here on some non-TCU schools since I bought every TCU t-shirt, sweatshirt, hoodie, and quarter zip, and jogger that they've produced. I don't really need to do more. Um, but that's Frogs, I-N-1-5, to save money. Do it today. Get your apparel in time for the first home game of the season. 
which is, as Jamie kind of referenced, going to be a future conference rivalry preview. So TCU could theoretically be playing Colorado three years in a row and far beyond, depending on how the scheduling shakes out. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Yes, Melissa, before we get to Colorado joining the Big 12 and the dominoes that could fall after that move, which was made late last week, you went to Taylor Swift. You you said that already. You mentioned that. We got to hear. The people want to know. They, people are clamoring to know. How was clamoring. the T-Swift experience? Was it what we've all seen online? Did it meet those expectations? Listen, I have absolutely no qualms in saying it. As high as my expectations were after waiting this concert out for nine months and going through Ticketmaster Hell and spending an inordinate sum of money to be there, uh, it more than lived up to billing. It exceeded my expectations. It was among the most perfect nights I've ever had in anything entertainment related. Um, you know, like it's it's hard to compare it to sporting events, um, very different things, but outside of like the Rose Bowl watching TC win the Fiesta Bowl, that's probably like the greatest entertainment night of my entire life. Uh, just brilliant from start to finish. Um, an amazing crowd, like, you know, Levi's Stadium is where the 49ers play. I, I tweeted after the show that I can make an argument. Taylor Swift is the uh, best athlete to ever step foot on that field because what she is doing for three and a half hours, night in and night out, this woman is not just standing at a, at a microphone playing her guitar and singing. She is climbing and dancing and going up and down stages and walking. I mean, she worked the entire stage. Everybody got to see her. It was uh, it was perfect. And everybody in the crowd just singing every single word to every single song. And there's just, I've never seen a group of people so united. And I think I tweeted this too, or X'd this, I guess we should say. Um, I've never been more happy for a group of strangers in my entire life than I was just watching how happy every single person in that stadium was even like the dads that clearly got drugged there and the boyfriends and the husbands, but they were dressed up. They were having a great time. Um, the food lines were insane. The merchandise lines were insane, but you know what you could get really, really easily and really quickly. What? Alcohol. Hey, there you go. Nobody was in the beer line. So I I bought one $20 beer and that was enough for me. It helps when, you know, probably two thirds of the, the audience is under 21. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so yeah, this, it, it was it was great. So this was at Levi's, right? This is where the 49ers mm-hmm. play. Correct. And it was what, probably 75% full, except for right behind the stage? Yeah, so it was uh, sold out, completely sold out for every seat they made available. There were maybe four sections that were completely behind the, sa- the stage at the upper upper bowl that they didn't sell. Um, but there was, I, I've heard something around 60,000 people is, is what they were anticipating. That's ridiculous. Would the people that were on the field have filled up the empty sections in the stadium. Like, oh, would for it, sure. Would it have been a quote unquote for sellout sure. if all of the seats? Okay. A hundred percent. Yeah. There, there was not, a, you could not see a lot of red in those seats once Taylor Swift came to, to town. And then, yeah, there were easily a couple thousand people on the field um, at the, with the floor seat. So it was great. I saw a lot of my students, which was really fun. Everybody was dressed up great. Um, her set was incredible. I mean, even my sister, you know, who's not a, a huge Taylor Swift fan, listens to her music, but it's not one that's going to be able to sing along to every word, like was just having the time of her life too. It was, it was, it was just like, if you get to go, like if you're going to travel overseas next year, like go see Taylor Swift, it's worth it. She was great. I'm definitely like, I'm in it to win it now. Like, I don't think I can ever go to another concert ever again um, because it's ruined everything for me. I mean, she literally did cover 10 albums and sang for three and a half hours. Like, just absolutely insane and the pyro was cool like i mean it's just it's it's a whole production man it was it was everything i hoped it would be and more um and 
I might never physically recover from it as an old, old woman standing and dancing and singing my heart out for three and a half hours or sleeping for three hours that night, but I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Well, Melissa, you know who else might not recover? Not from a Taylor Swift concert so much as conference realignment is the Pac-12. What and a segue. You got to mark that as probably my greatest segue of all time. It's it's 100% up um, there. Colorado is officially coming back to the Big 12. They're the first Power 5 school to come into the Big 12 during modern realignment, during the modern realignment era. Every time we've seen, obviously, because the Big 12 has been a Power 5, Power 6 conference, schools have left and gone to other Power 5, Power 6 conferences. But every school to this point that the Big 12 has brought in was previously a group of five school. And so this is big for a couple of different reasons. But first, this is not something just so I'm not going to go and fully rehash the timelines or anything like that. This is not something that happens quickly. These are not decisions that happen overnight. These are these decisions are the result of months and months and months of extensive conversations between a board, a school president, an athletic director, and the conference that they are wanting to go to for things not just football related or financially related, but hey, how is our volleyball team going to travel to West Virginia? What's it going to look like for some of our secondary sports to be able to still be student athletes and be successful in this conference? What's it going to look like for our TV numbers to be a part of this conference? What's it going to look like from a culture standpoint for us to be a part of this conference, from a research and academics standpoint to be a part of this conference. Those are all really important things that go into these conversations and they can't happen in a day or two days or a week. Colorado and the big 12 have been talking pretty much since, you know, this time last year when Brett Yormark got on that stage at big 12 media days in 2022 and said, we are open for business. Colorado was one of the first schools that he reached out to and called, and they've been having conversations ever since. That's why this move was able to be made when it was made. Um, a couple of things about why Colorado made that decision. First and foremost, it's because the PAC 12 still doesn't have a media deal, right? I mean, and Melissa, we've joked about this and we've made fun of this, uh, made fun of the PAC 12 for this for a couple of episodes now, or at least I have, you've been more sympathetic towards the PAC 12 being a, a California person yourself. Um, but it's one of those things where you know, obviously hindsight is 2020, but you know, Greg, uh, George Klavkov probably should have taken that $35 million a year school yeah. uh, per school offer that was on the table from ESPN last year, because it's not coming back now or from Fox. I can't remember which one, but it was roughly mid thirties per school per year from one of the major linear networks. And he thought he could go out there, out there and, and get a better offer. And now Jason Shear of Wildcat Authority is reporting that the rumored media deal, which is happening, uh, which the Pac-12 schools are apparently getting numbers on Tuesday morning from Clive Coffin and the board that has been conducting the, this search, $20 million per school at roughly 80% or even more streaming which means that Apple TV is probably the buyer and they're probably going to keep most of that content versus subletting it out essentially to 
linear networks, other streaming services, regional, th- regional, you know, networks and opportunities like that. Um, which means that you are not going to get the same kind of exposure if you remain in the PAC 12 that you would likely get elsewhere. Um, this is, this is a, a really important meeting that's happening on Tuesday morning. And by the time you folks are listening to this, the meeting will probably have already happened. It will know more. Um, but Colorado wanted numbers for a long time from the PAC 12. And instead of getting hard numbers, they got theories and vague responses and kind of more ideas of what the media contract could look like or might look like. The things that I've been told in the last couple of weeks were they talked a lot about escalators, about meeting certain subscription requirements from a streaming service, meeting certain ratings requirements that would then bump up the dollar amount that they were getting per school per year, similar to in professional sports contracts where, if, all right, if you're a an elite hitter and you hit 30 home runs in a year, you might get an extra 500,000 bucks. Or if you're a head coach and you make a bowl game, you get an extra hundred grand or whatever it might be. If you meet certain conditions of your contract, you get a little bit more money. But some of these, some of these escalators are probably really unreasonable. The higher ones normally are. Uh, and so the likelihood of, of the conference achieving some of those numbers, if they're majority streaming, uh, seems pretty unlikely. Um, you also have the example of the MLS, which recently signed an Apple TV contract. Those numbers have not been good. Uh, they have not helped the, conf- the that league's exposure whatsoever. Um, Messi has helped that league's exposure a little bit. Um, and he, I think, posted a link to Apple TV's subscription link on his Instagram that has like 480 million followers. But nobody in the Pac-12 is going to be drawing enough eyes to meet those streaming uh, escalator numbers. And so they, they've found themselves in a situation, I think, where, you know, uh, this is this is pretty dire now, Melissa. And I, I you know, I, I personally do not blame Colorado for making the move when they did, even though they didn't have hard numbers in front of them at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think Colorado... Well, look, I think the one thing that we have to keep in mind from the beginning is all of the, you can make the uh, instant gratification move now because everything's probably going to change again in the next five or six years. Right. And so, and that was kind of, I was, I was talking to some Pac-12 people um, over the weekend in between my Taylor Swift concert. And, um, you know, a lot of them were kind of like, well, we're not going to miss Colorado that much anyways. What value do they really add to the conference? Not that big of a deal which I think is kind of, that's been kind of the whole issue with the PAC 12 to begin with. There's just a lot of shun fraud, you know, kind of happening around the way that this has all gone down the last year or two. Um, They had a chance to pull big 12 schools. They kind of decided they were, those schools were not good enough for them. Um, Then all of a sudden they get blindsided by USC, UCLA. And now it's, well, what we have remaining is enough. Um, And now if you see Colorado kind of say, hey, like, that's all fine and good for you guys. We're going to capitalize on the fact that we have interest around our program, that we have a coach who's also probably not going to be there for very long. We're going to take the better money deal today and worry about the consequences later. Um, I think it was a smart play for Colorado. If you stick around the Pac-12 and kind of wait it out, regardless of what the, the money ends up being, you've lost all of your cachet that you've built by hiring Deion Sanders. And if we're being really honest, they hired Deion Sanders as much for what he brings to the university as they did for any football acumen he may or may not possess as a, as a head coach in the power five. So 
Um, Colorado made the move they needed to do. This puts the Pac-12 in a a really just tenuous situation um, because you either have to say, well, we told schools like TCU and Texas Tech and Baylor and Oklahoma State and all those, they weren't good enough for us. And now we're going to have to invite San Diego State, Boise State, UNLV and SMU. And that that has got to be very disheartening to the rest of your conference, the the league members that kind of stuck it out. Um, it it kind of gives me the vibes of, um, you know, the live golf thing when you see Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods turning down these massive, massive, um, you know, offers out of principle only to come back and live in the PGA to basically merge. And these guys are either going to have to leave the game completely or end up taking the the dirty money that they didn't want anything to begin with because it became no longer their choice. Um, feels a lot like what's kind of happening in, in the Pac-12 from like a high level perspective. Um, and it's going to make the what happens next, the who's the next shoe to drop. Very, very interesting, especially since Brett Yormark, ever the salesman that he is, basically said, hey, we're stopping at 14. Who's next? We got one mm-hmm. more spot. Who wants it? Yeah. And I think it's a great tactic. I, you know, it's interesting the shift that has happened in the last 10 days or so, because it went from this machine, this PR machine that was coming out of the big 12 offices and, and really talking to, to some folks at at CBS, some folks at ESPN that was trying to kind of create this destabilization of the PAC 12. They were, um, you know, just consistently reporting on how aggressive the Big 12 was trying to be, how they were targeting the Pac-12 here, the schools that they're having conversations with. In the last five days, really, especially over the weekend after Colorado locked in, they've gone radio silent. Mm-hmm. Like they've, they've been completely quiet outside of the one little note that we've heard about, ooh, maybe the, they might stop at 14. Um, you know, UConn's still in here. Uh, they've gone really quiet, and that's intentional. Because now the silence creates pressure mm-hmm. because you have the Pac-12 in a situation where they're down a guy or down a school. Sorry, uh, just reading a text and thinking about something else. They're down a school already. So they're down to nine. There's been consistent pressure from a few vocal presidents to see some numbers that they haven't seen yet. Uh, and now, you know, all of the attention can just be completely on. Klyavkov and the Pac-12 and what's going to happen next, right? They have center stage now and they're not in a position where they want that that focus and that attention at all. And so this is a really interesting PR move to kind of pull back, go radio silent and just let what happens next in the Pac-12 be the next thing that everyone in the country is reporting on. And, And I'm really intrigued to see how this meeting on Tuesday morning goes because there's another meeting on Tuesday that's really important. And that's that the Arizona Board of Regents are having a meeting on Tuesday afternoon at about 3.30, whatever time it is in Arizona right now, yeah, whether it's mountain yeah. time or, or Pacific time, whichever one. I think they're I think they're I think they're mountain time right now. But I have no earthly idea, to be completely honest with you. Um <clears throat> but they they have a meeting scheduled that was, and I know because I checked yesterday, that was not on their calendar yesterday. They had another meeting from like a subcommittee that was scheduled for Monday afternoon, but this board meeting that has very little details, one vague description of what is on the agenda, uh, that was that was added on Monday to to the calendar. So 
There's a meeting about numbers on Monday or on Tuesday morning with the Pac-12. There is a Board of Regents meeting for Arizona on Tuesday afternoon. And I should note, the Board of Regents in Arizona oversees the University of Arizona, Arizona State University, and Northern Arizona University. They govern all they govern all three public institutions. Um, there was some turmoil, or there were some questions about would the board allow Arizona to split away from Arizona State and join a different conference? Um, I don't believe that's a question anymore. Uh, I think that the answer would be yes, they would allow that to happen. So that's kind of where we are. So the question really now is, is Arizona number 14? What do you think? I feel like, again, like you said, that silence creates that pressure. They're not convening a last minute board meeting if they don't have the intention of making something happen. So I think barring something unexpected with the media deal, I think that they are going to be picking up the phone tomorrow night and saying, pick us like we're in. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, again, it's, it's the right thing to do because there's so many unknowns. Um, I know we're going to talk here about the, the big 10 getting involved again. um, And so I'll kind of hold off on that, but you've got, you're basically down to the Arizona schools, which have been heavily rumored to, to want to, to make this leap and have been flirting with the pack, the big 12 for quite a while. I mean, this is not a new thing. This is, this has been a rumor for, for quite some time um, while the other schools are, are trying to kind of hold, hold tight together. Um, Arizona is also kind of wild and wily anyway. So I wouldn't be shocked if they just go screw it. We're doing our own thing. Kind of like Colorado, right? Like it seems to make a lot of sense. Um, I think we will see the Wildcats joining um, the big 12. It makes a ton of sense for them. Um, you know, they haven't had a ton of success recently in football, um, but they have a great basketball program. The, the big 12 basketball conference has to be appealing Big 12 baseball has to be appealing for them. So it's not just football. Um, I think that that this seems like a, a natural move, um, but the rest of their sports are going to benefit from it as well. Um, but but then again, like you said, now, now what happens? Does the Big 12 legitimately sit tight at 14? Or is this your mark kind of saying, we'll get to 14 and then we'll wait to see what happens with Oregon and Washington because I don't see any scenario if the big 10 indeed does not be looking to expand anytime soon, that if Washington and Oregon picked up the phone to call that your mark wouldn't say no. Now, I don't know what the, if, if he's able to give a full share, I don't remember what the, what the cap was on the media deal as far as how many, how many teams would do that. Um, but that would be kind of the, the biggest question. And I think if you're the big 12, you you want that especially Oregon you want that brand name program in even if it costs you a little bit in the short term yeah so ESPN has approved four a pro rata for four uh incoming power five universities so that's that's where they that's so the conference essentially is capped at 16 by ESPN Fox initially didn't add anything of that statement to their end of the the media rights deal. But when this stuff started to happen with the PAC 12, they approved two spots. So right now they've kind of capped the conference at 14. The thought is, is if there are two appealing schools that come along, Mm -hmm. Fox would then approve spots 15 and 16 in their pro rata. So, so, you know, it really comes down to does Fox think that whatever school ends up being number 15 or whatever school ends up being number 16 is appealing enough to fork over that extra, you know, however many dollars uh, uh, annually to those schools. Because if they ultimately say, 
Arizona State doesn't move the needle for us. Okay, well, then Arizona State's not coming to the Big 12, right? Oh, if, if Utah doesn't move the needle for us, which I don't believe they would say, frankly, uh, yeah. then Utah's not coming to the Big 12. So, you know, it's all, it's all still just kind of a game at this point. But what that does for the Big 12 is it allows them to say, hey, we're at 14. We're really comfortable with 14 teams right now. We have a model for a 14-team conference moving forward because that's what we're doing in yeah. 2023 um, with all of our sports. So we understand the 14-team conference model and how that works in, in various sports. Um, and I think they would be comfortable staying at 14. I don't think they end up staying at 14. I think they move to 16, but they're going to have to work with Fox to get those last two spots approved because they're not going to bring anyone in uh, and, and uh, take a chunk out of what the current schools are making. Well, and to me, that's the biggest question mark with the Big Ten. When you look at what the the deal that they signed where they're projecting 80 to $100 million per school, and you know that may end up coming down a little bit. You have to look at even Oregon and Washington, which are probably the only two schools they're interested in taking, if if anybody, right? And say, do either of those schools add enough to make up that amount of money over the course of this media rights deal? Or are they going to be, you know, taking away from our current schools? And like, if we're being really honest, greed is driving this entire thing. Like, that's the only thing. Nobody cares about rivalries. Nobody cares about the quality of the football it's all about how much can you line your your bottom line with how, how much cash can you suck in while the opportunity is there because like you mentioned with the with um with the way that these media deals are going it's not like there's going to be more money 3 years down the line there's there's likely to be less except for a, a handful of schools um and so just kind of striking while the iron is hot seems to be the the big deal and so i don't see a scenario where Oregon and Washington have a path to the Big 10 in the next 3 to 5 years and I see a, a you know significant chance that this is all going to be kind of moot anyways in three to five years as far as as it's currently constructed. So um, I think there's a if if the Pac-12 doesn't do something shrewd um, to protect its brand and its its conference, which right now between Larry Scott and George Klykov, they have not shown that they kind of have the wherewithal to do. Um, I would not be surprised at all if um, Washington and, and Oregon joined the Big 12 here in the next, you know, six months or so, um, if not sooner. Um, and again, this is not me rooting for the demise of the Pac-12. I'm certainly not somebody who who wants to see that happen for a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I hate kind of that this is the way that it's all gone down. I also think that ultimately this is terrible for college football. Um, you know, I, even Sonny Dykes kind of alluded to that at media days talking about, you know, that, that heated rivalry between Rutgers and UCLA, like th- there's a lot of negatives to this. And so I, I think just is, is, you know, football fans, people that, that cover these programs, we have to remember that the other shoe is going to drop for everybody at some point, you know, and TCU has been, um, has benefited from realignment certainly. Um, and there have been a lot of positives. It's completely transformed the university, but the more that this continues to change, um, the the more likely there are to be some negative consequences as well, especially with the, I think the the streaming um, bubble is about to burst and, and people are kind of frustrated with the way that that has kind of, the the, the cutting the cable, cutting the cable was supposed to save us all money and, and make it easier to find things. Instead, it's just cost us a lot more money and made it impossible to watch what you actually want to see. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to, like all markets do, it'll find its way to level out at some point in the near future, but it's a really bad time to be negotiating a media rights deal and the Pac-12 is finding that out. And it just highlights once again how smart Brett Yormark was to get that deal done a year in advance. I don't know if he saw this coming. I don't know what, 
he's he's a media guy. He has really great connections at both ESPN and Fox, and and very clearly used those connections to his and the Big 12's advantage in those negotiations. Um, and it should be noted too that the 31.7 million dollar number, which is the annual payout per per school in the Big 12, is not the full payout from the conference. That's just the media rights payout from the conference. And what I mean by that is at the end of the year, at the end of the academic and athletic year, every year, the conference writes a big check to every big 12 school that includes their media rights payout and payouts from basketball tournament appearances and Mm -hmm. bowl game payouts and all of the other things that come with actually competing in these sports and earning money in these sports. So that number for a big 12 school is probably going to be somewhere in the 45 to $50 million range for the new media deal that the big 12 teams have already signed on to without Texas and Oklahoma in the conference. Yeah. To compare that's so TCU got a payout last year of a, a little over $42 million on the old media deal with Texas and Oklahoma in the conference. So the payouts are going up for the conference even though Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, which if you had told people that two years ago, they would have laughed at you. They would have thought you're a crazy person. There's no shot in hell that's actually going to happen, but here we are. And it's an actual reality. Um, So that's something else to be considered in all of this too, is the fact that Brett Yormark got to the table first and ate first. The fact that he negotiated the deal that he was able to get, even though it is a smaller number than what the big 10 and the, the sec are getting is still more money than the big 12 teams were making with Texas and Oklahoma in the conference. And I think at the end of the day, the PAC 12 is going to look at that and certain schools in the PAC 12 are going to look at that and say, that's the more stable place to be. That's where we need to be. And that's where they will end up being. And I think ultimately that's the thing is, is you can look at the numbers, the minutiae of the money, but at the end of the day, who do you have more faith in Brett, your Mark or George Klykoff, if you're a PAC 12 school and, and, or there's just not, it's hard not to look at the big 12 and say, man, like every chord he has played has made beautiful music. Like he just keeps making smart move after smart move. He's expanding the brand. He's expanding it globally. I mean, it's this, the dude is shrewd as hell. And uh, so far for, for the big 12, it's, it's working really, really well. Um, It's going to suck when he's the NFL commissioner, you know, in a few years when Roger Goodell retires. But I think, I think we kind of all know that, that, that certainly he's he's got aspirations i'm sure beyond big 12 conference commissioner um but i think that that all the things that he has done to this point um have given not just big 12 teams but a lot of teams outside of the conference a lot of reason to be paying attention in a positive way to to this league yes fully agree fully agree and we're going to know a lot more when we record the next episode of this podcast, yeah. I'm very excited to see how things break down this week. Again, just to re- recap Colorado in the big 12 already, their board of regents, I believe is it's not a board of trustees for them. It's regents voted nine, uh, nine to nothing. Wow. Uh, I guess it was a unanimous vote to join the big 12. i watched that, that meeting on zoom. It was a very, you could tell that this was not an easy decision for them, that they had really done the labor to, explore every aspect of this to discuss every aspect of this and did the hard, hard decision of, okay, we have to go. This is just what's best for the university. So, um, you know, so that's happened. We know that on Tuesday morning, the PAC 12 is going to present numbers to the school presidents to let them know 
um, what the new media deal could look like. And then on Tuesday afternoon, the Arizona Board of Regents is meeting. We don't know what that meeting is about, but we also know that that meeting wasn't on the calendar on Monday. Um, and lastly, just one last point to make before we move on, because we've actually got some TCU football to talk about. If this was a good media deal for the Pac-12, if they had you know, matched or exceeded the Big 12's number, they would have, they would have already said yeah. that. That would have leaked out already. We know the people that they leak information to in the Pac-12. It's John Constanzo and John Wilner, and, and they would have already reported that that information was out there, right? Like they would have said, hey, we, we just have some breaking news. Turns out the Pac-12 is getting this linear and, and streaming 50-50 deal where schools are getting $34 million a year, and this is going to be really great. They've you know committed to a grant of rights, and they're going to codify this soon, right? Like we would have heard that already. The fact that we haven't heard anything is a pretty, pretty big signal of where this is headed. And it's also just to go back to an earlier point that we made, why it was so smart that the big 12 has decided to go radio silent over the last few days. Yeah. All right. Moving along. What we're 30 minutes in at this point and we've, yep. we've, we've handled the pac 12. Okay. We're we, should, save... we should probably talk about TCU now, huh? Let's talk about TCU. Let's move our last agenda item on this show to the next week's or yeah. next week's run sheet. And we can just do that. Cause I've got another thing that I need to add to the end of this one as well about baseball. Um, but before we get to that, Melissa frog football, Players report on Tuesday to fall camp. We have our this first media. We have our it's first fun. media availability on Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock. You'll get all of the information on this episode, on the next episode of Frogs Insider, about what happened at that, as well as what happens at every single day of fall practice in Week One. They are practicing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning at eight fifteen every single morning, and that means that football is officially back. People are going to start hitting each other. People are going to start, you know, hyping up this team. We're going to we're going to get that hype train rolling. We're going to hear about how great this team is going to be, what they're going to do this year. Are they going to hit the over on their win total? All this other stuff is going to start to roll out. We're going to see how Chandler Morris looks, how this reconstructed offensive line looks, what the secondary is going to look like this year as a veteran group. But right now, we don't have any of that. So, Melissa, I want to ask you a question that I asked Sonny Dykes at Big 12 Media Days. We all know that year one was a success. They made it to the college football playoff, first team in Texas to do that. Seventh team in the history of the playoff to win a playoff game. What do they have to do in year two for year two to be considered a success? You know, as I make the rounds on, on people's podcasts here now with, with fall camp ramping up and everyone doing their team previews and everything, you always get asked this question because year one was so unexpected People want to know what is it going to take in order for people to feel like Sunny Dykes, at least at the very least, lived up to that expectation, right? So I think that for me, and maybe I'm a little bit different than than the average TCU fan, um, I don't think he has to make a run to the Big 12 championship game for it to be a successful season, but I do think he probably needs to be in the running in November, right? Um, we've talked a lot about how the schedule shakes out. You know, you, you've kind of thrown out, you think they can start 7-0, and and then they travel to, to Manhattan for that big matchup at Kansas State. I feel like maybe there's going to be a loss there or a little bit earlier than you do. Um, I, I just think that after starting 12-0 and last year, it, it would be – a lot of things have to go right to win a football game. 
you not only have to be a talented team, a well-prepared team, but sometimes you need something to bounce your way. And, and the one thing that we saw with TCU is that every time they needed something to bounce their way, it pretty much happened. I mean, there was example of example of it. And I don't want to call it luck because that's not really fair to how much work goes into to getting ready for a football game. But it did seem when they needed a big turnover, you know, when they when they needed a, an insane play, when they needed, um, you know, Max Duggan to scramble for 20 yards on on third and 13, like, Every single time until that Big 12 championship game, when they needed something to go right for them, it went right for them. Even to the fact of opening against Colorado, you know, I, I think that TCU still would have been really good with Chandler Morris, but there's something to be said for Max Duggan's willingness to literally drag his team across the finish line time and time again. And that's not, that's not a skill thing. That's a, just a personal thing. And, and we don't, you know, we don't know if Chandler has that. We'll hopefully find out soon. But um, mm-hmm. I think that, that November schedule is brutal. That that late October November schedule is brutal. You've got a Thursday night in Lubbock. You know you've got a rivalry game in, in Baylor, which should be better than it was last year. And we saw how how that one, how much it took out of TCU to win that one. Um, you've got Texas at home um, for you know potentially the last time ever, and then you finish in Oklahoma in, in Oklahoma at at OU. Um, if you slip up there a couple times, I don't think it's the end of the world. But what you can't have is start fast you know, and, and kind of peter out, which is something that's been said about Sunny Dykes teams prior to this last year. So mm-hmm. um, a success to me is, is in that kind of eight, nine win range. Um, and exceptional is in that 10 win, maybe play for a big 12 championship range. Um, anything above that to me, to me is gravy. I think as long as you make a bowl game and you're competitive and Sonny shows that he's building on what he started last year, not just kind of a flash in the pan with some good veteran talent he inherited from Gary Patterson and company, then you feel like the program's been in the right direction. To me, that's the biggest thing. I just need to know that the program didn't just have a good season, but it's going to continue to move in the right direction. Um, especially, um, you know, defensively. I think we need to see a a solid improvement there. If the offense takes a step back, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, You lost some generational talents um, at key positions, but as long as the defense shows that it's improving and you continue to recruit at a high level on the offensive side of the ball, then I have a lot of faith in Sonny Dykes as a program builder, not just a um, what an amazing season that guy had. Or I don't want people to say, remember when Sonny Dykes was the first year coach at TCU and, and they made it to the national championship? That was crazy. What have they done since? Like, that's yeah. what you want to avoid, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree that that's definitely what you want to avoid. And I think I think you're you're right there where I am as far as anything less than eight wins. And I'm going to have a hard time calling this season a success. Um, eight and four is probably kind of the threshold. Uh, it's the, the low end of, of the scale of what I would call a successful season. Um, but here's the thing, like if you go eight and four in the regular season as TCU, but you lost to tech, Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma, you lost Mm -hmm. the last four games of the year. Do you still call it a success or do you say, well, they started eight and no, then they lost four games in a row, but if it flips and you go six and one, you lose to Kansas state, you beat tech and Texas lose to Baylor and Oklahoma and you're eight and four, you know, does the narrative change depending on when those losses happen? Um, is, is kind of what I'm getting at here. I, I, I think it does. I, I think if, I think it, when we've seen the playoff committee and, and the BCS committees, you know, talk about this in past years, early lot. And it's, it's just a perception thing as well. Early losses are easier to overcome than losses late in the season, right? 
we're living this as TCU people right now because we just watched TCU go 13 and two and win a Fiesta Bowl, win a college football playoff game. And all anybody's talking about are the Big 12 championship and the national championship. Mm-hmm. And for good reason, because TCU lost both of those games. They lost the Kansas State game based on a questionable decision in overtime at the goal line. They lost the national championship game because Georgia straight up pulled their pants down. Right. And, and so there's a reason people are talking about that. But if TCU goes 13 and two or 12 and two, and those losses happened earlier in the year, nobody's talking about those. Right. If they lost the regular season game to Baylor, if they didn't come back against Oklahoma State, but they went to a New Year's Six Bowl and beat Ole Miss or something, everybody's talking about how they beat Ole Miss and went 12, won 12 games in Sunny Dyke's first year. And oh my gosh, that was an excellent season. It's a very successful season. Uh, but that's not the narrative right now. And it's because they lost the last game of the year the way they did. Um, early losses are easier to overcome than late losses. And so I'm really interested to see how this schedule plays out because, like you said, it is very backloaded. It's it's a really, really tough November schedule. Um, and and I don't know how the Frogs are going to handle that. The good news is, is that their bye week doesn't come in week three this year. Yeah, It comes on October 28th. So they have a bye week after that visit to Kansas State. And then they have their November slate of Tech, Texas, Baylor, and OU. So that's, I think, really helpful for them. That plays in their favor because they'll have a chance if guys are banged up to get a little bit of, of health back in the program. Um, another thing that I think is going to be really valuable for this team, and I can't, I can't remember if I said this on a previous episode or not, year two under cause already looks a lot different than year one under mm-hmm. cause from a strength and conditioning standpoint. So how this team handles year two under cause, I think is going to be really, really important to how they, you know, what, how they, you know, the, the product bears out on the field, um, well, whether, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, an, another part of that too is, you know, especially with the late season, I think that, that, you know, the year 200 cause impacts the late season, but you also need to have a successful late season because, you know, Bud Elliott tweeted about this earlier this week is that, you know, something about his, when he was picking his 18 teams that had a legitimate shot to win a national championship and somebody in, in response kind of brought up TCU. And he said, if TCU was legitimately a national cha- uh, championship caliber program, they, they would have capitalized and recruiting more in this 2024 class. And right now I think it, and it may have changed over the weekend with the two recruits we'll talk about in a minute, but they were outside the top 50. And part of that's just sheer quantity. They're just not going to sign a, a ton of guys. They, they lost a lot of guys, but they have a lot of guys coming back and they're going to save spots in the portal. But at the end of the day, if you start, you know, seven, seven and oh, and went lose three or, or four, of your last five games, that's going to, with the December signing period, that could be impactful because now you're looking at a team that, you know, you're, you've got that memory of, of the way that they lost the national championship and you've faded down the stretch against your best competition in, in the big 12 and your biggest rivals um, that, that could be concerning too. And so in order to fully capitalize and, and turn that magical run into, you know, s- some recruiting magic, I think that you have to show that you're going to, that again, it wasn't a flash in a Pan, that Sunny Dykes has a plan that, that he is continuing to build the program his way. And it's not only going to enable special magical seasons like 2022, but it's going to mean that when there's a 12 team playoff that TCU is consistently going to be in the mix for one of those spots in the future. Um, so this is a huge season. Like last year was a blast. It was fun. It was unexpected. It was incredible. It was magical. It was all of those things. This is the year that matters. Right. This mm-hmm. is this year and next year are the two years that kind of determine the future of TCU a because 
you're losing Texas and Oklahoma, B, because you're expanding to 12 teams, C, because you've invested now so much and so many people have invested in TCU football and TCU athletics, the payoff has to come more than just one time. So I don't know that TCU will ever play in a national championship game again in my lifetime. They might, they might not. I don't think that is ultimately the goal. But if you're not consistently competing for a big 12 championship and not consistently competing to be one of those 12 teams, especially with where the big 12 is positioned right now, then, then you're not successful. And so this year doesn't have to be back-to-back playoff appearances, but like you said, anything less than eight wins is going to be tough to stomach and anything less than being competitive in November is going to to start to give people around the program, I think, pause. Yeah, fully agree. Fully agree. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, as far as this year, and next year are concerned, you know, a big aspect of that is, you know, what are the recruiting classes look like too? Because mm-hmm. you know, if you're building a program, that means you're bringing in the guys in the high school classes and in the transfer portal. We've seen Sonny hit the transfer portal really well in his first two years. Uh, now we got to see that, that uh, you know, the, the construction from a high school level. Who are you bringing in? How are you developing talent? What are you doing with some of these guys that lets you get to that level of success that is sustainable for a program like TCU that we've seen for the last 20 plus years of, of the program. So um, that kind of leads us into the next section of this, of this episode where we're talking a little crouton because TCU did get two more commits to the 2024 class on Sunday afternoon. They held a camp this weekend where they had a lot of guys that were already committed coming into town and hanging out and, and working out for the coaches. They had five or six guys that weren't committed that they also invited to come that day and work out for the coaching staff and get to know some of the commits. This is an opportunity for guys that they felt were kind of close to meet more of the recruiting class in person, work out for the coaches, and then have a better feel for TCU as, as a program. And they got two commits from that. The The first one they got is Chris Brister. It's a great name. Uh, yeah, three three a star, great name. right? Three star offensive lineman from Stephenville, Texas, which I think is a pretty, we can, we can count Stephenville as probably a pretty good recruiting zone for TCU moving forward, considering yeah. how many members of the coaching staff played high school ball there, coached high school ball there, lived there in some capacity. Um, Stephenville is going to be a TCU hot zone, I think, in the, in the future. And Chris Brister is is the latest guy from there. He's 6'4", 285 as a rising senior. Uh, he's the number, number 49 inside offensive lineman uh, in his recruiting class, according to 24-7 Sports, and the number 114 recruit in the state of Texas. So high three-star kid big body that's going to come in and, and play interior offensive line for the Horn Frogs. It's a really good pickup. And if your name is Chris Brister, you kind of have to be an offensive lineman, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't be a wide receiver. No, with that's the, for not sure. with, with a name like Chris. Um, yeah, no. And, and look, I, I think that the in building from the lines out, I think is a priority for most TCU fans. They want to see, you know, Sonny and company recruiting the heck out of the offensive and defensive line, um, getting, getting a highly sought, big time player, big time dude um, at that position from a school, like you said, that's going to become one of the the pipeline regions for TCU is, is great and really positive. Um, brings us to our next recruit, which I think is another thing where if there's, if there has been a knock on Sonny as a recruiter, it's recruiting on the defensive side of the ball. He's clearly made that a priority as has Joe Gillespie, as had Paul Gonzalez and the rest of the defensive staff. Um, and they got another cornerback, um, another cornerback out of the state of Texas, which I believe their entire 2024 class currently 
of commits mm -hmm. are all from the state of Texas. That is correct. And do you want to tell us a little bit about? Yes, I do. Sorry, I didn't yeah. know if you're going to keep going there. I know not. I didn't. I wasn't um, very good on that. I can tell you a little good. bit about him, but you can tell him more. <laughs> uh, Devondre McGee. So we've talked on previous episodes about the new kind of quarterback mold that this team is trying to work from, and it's it's a it's a, a move away from cornerbacks in the Gary Patterson era that were a little bit smaller but hyper athletic, incredibly fast to longer, taller, more rangy cornerbacks and Devondre McGee uh, fits that mold. He's a three-star corner from Conroe, Texas. He's 6'1", 180, um, very athletic, long arms. So he's going to be able to get up uh, with some of those taller receivers and contest passes really well. Uh, the number 43 corner in the class, number 89 recruit in the state of Texas for the 2024 class. So another good, another solid commit for the Horn Frogs on the defensive side of the ball. He's the second corner to uh, join this class alongside Julian Knox, who's a North Crowley product. So two really good corners in this class so far, high three-star guys who, uh, you know, likely will be good contributors down the road for this thing. Well, and they brought in, they emphasized, um, you know, linebackers, they brought a couple of linebackers. They brought in a lot of secondary place, players this last year as well. They're continuing to fill out that part. You're going to graduate a ton of talent in the secondary this year. Um, that That's going to be, there's going to be a big loss there. So love to see them finding these big tall corners that can compete with this freaking freakishly large wide receivers that seem to dot the big 12, every big 12 team. It's a requirement. Mm -hmm. You have to have a dude that's six, four and runs a four, three. And then you have to have a dude that's five foot five and a half but they list him at 511 and he he runs a three nine like that's like yep. the the offensive playbook for um for the big 12 offenses this year yeah the corners last have, 10 years corners have to be in, insanely versatile in, in this league and and it seems like gillespie and dykes have had a, a really good um really good a high hit rate so far in two years of of finding these guys i guess we'll find out in year three if McGee and Knox fit that mold as well. Um, yeah. In the 2025 class, the, the Frogs have lost a recruit. Um, Adrian Wilson was committed for less than two months before he flipped to Oregon over the weekend. Um, never decommitted from TCU, just was on campus at TCU one weekend. The next weekend was up in Oregon for an official visit and decided to commit there. Um, this is a good kid. Um, by all accounts, everybody I've talked to says Adrian Wilson is a good kid. I think it, this, you know, we talked a couple of episodes ago about how hard it was going to be to keep, hold on to these guys that were committed for the 25 class just because it's so far away. Um, and some kids really like to enjoy the process. So, you know, uh, uh, that's just kind of how this, this ship sails at this point. Yeah. And uh, the frogs are down to one commit now for the 2025 class. Fortunately, it's a really good one. Uh, Michael Hawkins, the uh, not Michael Hawkins. I'm an idiot. That's a kid that's in the 2023 class for Oklahoma. Who am I thinking of? I'm scrolling right now. Ty Hawkins. Thank you. I was uh, like, Hawkins sounds yeah, right, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, Ty name. Hawkins from San Antonio, four-star quarterback who is an absolute stud, top 10, top number nine uh, quarterback for the 2025 class, according to 24-7 Sports, is the lone commit. And he's already recruiting for TCU, right? Like he's out there talking to guys, trying to bring them into the class. So uh, still a decent foundation for the 2025 class with Hawkins in the fold now you know keep him right do what you can to yeah. hold on to him yeah, for two years can. until he signs yeah. on the dotted line so that's kind of that's the state of tcu recruiting right now and if you know if season two under dykes is is a success i think we'll really start to see the momentum on the recruiting trail pick up yeah. specifically at the high school level uh, I, I think they've found the, the transfer portal formula that works for them at this point 
and and now another year of uh, another good season will help, I think, bolster the high school recruiting as well. You know, they're going to have a little help recruiting in the DFW area because there is a a former TCU player, pretty good one, who um, I've learned is going to be an assistant high school football coach this fall. Oh, really? Who's that? You might have heard of him, Jamie. Um, he's a he's a, a legend at TCU. He he serves in some capacities around his university, and he's kind of a Hall of Famer. So his name is Ladanian Tomlinson, and apparently he's the newest member of the Westlake Academy coaching staff. So I uh, don't have a whole lot of details as to how that kind of shook out, but um, he will be roaming the sidelines. Not not really a powerhouse uh, Westlake Academy in, in the football uh, realm, but. Uh, pretty exciting for a, another former Horn Frog to to be picking up coaching. I think LT is just he's got kids, he's got time on his hands, and um, he's looking to stay around the game. So it's pretty cool that some of those kids who probably are too young to have ever seen him play um, are going to get coached up by one of the best to ever do it. You know, I, I'll be honest, I didn't look at your note in the run sheet, so I thought you were talking about someone else because Ranthony Tuxada is also now coaching in DFW. He's the new cornerbacks coach at Little Elm. So oh, That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, hey, but, the more the merrier. Yeah. Love to see yeah. these guys staying in the game. So there you go. But yeah, that's awesome that, that LT is going to be roaming the sidelines at Westlake. That'll be a fun uh, a fun thing to kind of keep track of in the coming, in the coming season, a couple, couple years following as well. Um, all right, Melissa, let's pivot in the last little bit that we have for this episode as we try desperately to keep it to roughly an hour here. Um, right, we're going to fail again. I think yeah, probably so we're so. trying, but we'll um, be closer than last, hey, last week. Yes, we will for sure. Um, so big 12 basketball is kicking up soon. We saw TCU's non-conference schedule get announced on Monday. They have mm-hmm. a couple really fun matchups. They travel to Canada to play Clemson. They play Arizona state at Dickey's arena in Fort worth. They will travel to Georgetown and and play Georgetown as part of the big 12 big East challenge. They're going to Hawaii for the diamond head classic again this year with a pretty decent lineup of teams. Um, But we got to hear from Jamie Dixon uh, and a couple players on Monday morning because they held an open practice. Uh, One of their practices that they, um, Used with a different basketball, Melissa. A Tell FIBA, me more, Jamie. A FIBA regulation basketball because the Horn Frogs are getting ready to travel to Paris and London for a series of games against some international squads that uh, will be their first opportunity to get a look at the five transfer portal additions that they added this offseason, as well as their two incoming freshmen, Jace Posey and Isaiah Manning. Um, and this is just a really cool opportunity. Uh, this is something that schools are allowed to do once every four years is travel internationally to go and play. Um, and this is TCU's year. They did it once before under Jamie Dixon. They traveled to Australia uh, a number of years ago to do an international trip there. And now they're they're going to Europe. They're going to Paris and London uh, to play some hoops uh, in the next two weeks. It's really cool that they get to do this. I mean, it's awesome for for the, you know, we heard Mike Miles talk about getting to travel and, and play in a different country when he was part of Team USA and, and how impactful that was for these guys to get to go overseas together um, and, and not only, you know, have that like generational or once in a lifetime kind of experience of getting to travel. Some of these guys probably have never been out of the country. Some of them may mm-hmm. never get the chance to go again and to go with your team while you're in college and play basketball. That's a pretty freaking cool opportunity. I know my high school does. I started up these international trips again and, and every couple of years programs get to go overseas and play and do community service. And 
you know, it, it not, it doesn't just give you a chance to play and to see some of these new players on the roster, but like the team bonding that's going to happen and that, that shared experience, the way that they're going to get to gel. You have so many new faces. We, we've talked quite a bit about how different this roster looks this year than it did last year. Um, so those guys spending a couple, a couple days together, um, you know, a week or so together, I think is going to be huge for them and having it not revolve just around basketball, I think is going to be really important for team chemistry, um, for the leaders to identify themselves. Um, and, and just for the, the program as a whole to kind of gel after, you know, having, um, having, you know, kind of fallen short of their goals last year and needing to kind of rebuild on the fly, um, to make another run at the NCAA tournament this coming season. Yes. So Micah Peavy is one of those players that has not been out of the country before. We got to talk to him on Monday morning and he said he was very excited uh, about that just to kind of see um, a new country for the first time and also to do some of the things that you mentioned, understand how uh, this team is going to operate on the court and how they're going to click with each other and gel a little bit. Um, He said uh, this morning that he is intentionally taking on more of a vocal leadership role now that guys like Mike Miles and Damian Baugh have have graduated to the next level. Um, So that was really cool to hear him talk about that. Um, And then Ernest Uday, we got a chance to talk to him, the Kansas transfer uh, this morning or Monday morning. We're recording on Monday. Everybody knows that this morning as well. Um, And he said some some of the same things. You know, he's like, this is our first opportunity to play basketball against another opponent together. He goes, I'm really excited to see where we're at. I'm really excited to see what the work we've put in in these last six weeks means for us. Um, And he's like, yeah, this is just another cool opportunity for us all to get to know each other better um, and and do it, you know, while while learning kind of who we are as a basketball team on the court. Um, A really insightful kid, frankly, for a 19 year old who's who's just going to be a sophomore uh, really struck me as 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 mature um very well spoken very comfortable talking to media um and and he he was a good conversation uh he was he was a good conversationalist it, it was fun to hear from him um for those that have been asking me i know that i've gotten this question on 20, on hornfrog blitz a couple of times jameer nelson, jameer nelson jr is here he had to do some summer school work um but he is here he's another guy we talked to this morning he is going on the europe trip um, he's very, very excited to be here. He's been here for about a week and says he already feels like he's clicking, fitting in. And, and you could tell in practice today, we, we got to watch practice before we did, um, all of our media availability stuff. And, and he looked, he looked good. He looked in shape. He looked like he was clicking with guys. So, uh, this is, this is going to be a fun season of TC basketball, I think. Yeah, it, there've been a couple of clips um, on social media of, of Jameer playing and kind of getting, it's, it's got some bounce. He can get up a little bit. He's pretty good, mm-hmm. pretty good athlete at his size. Kind of reminds me of Mike in that sense. He's not the biggest, you know, guard that you're going to see out there, but he can he can certainly get get up a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm fired up. I'm sure we'll see a lot um, on TCU social channels from from this European trip, and it's going to be fun to see how they look against other competition. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of new look, Jamie, as as we kind of get ready to to close things out here. Uh, TC baseball has done a lot of work um, in and around the portal and they apparently are not done yet. You've got some more portal additions for us. Yes, they are up to 11 incoming transfers in the transfer portal. They added two more on Monday. The first one was uh, Blake Rogers, a right-handed pitcher. He's a right. He's a rising sophomore from Baylor university. Uh, he is another Baylor transfer that is deciding to come to TCU. Obviously Trey Richardson was that guy last year. And we saw the kind of season he had the coaching staff is really excited 
about Rodgers coming in. He's a, he was a freshman last year. He only made four appearances before uh, dealing with a little bit of an injury that kept him out all year. It was not anything that was overly serious. Um, but this is a guy that the Baylor coaching staff did not want to lose to the transfer portal. They were surprised when he entered the portal. They were very disappointed because they had big plans for him as a sophomore that they won't get to see now, I guess, unless they're playing the Horn Frogs. But uh, Rodgers is a, a tall righty. He's 6'5", 230. He's a big kid. Uh, fastball in the low 90s. Got some good off-speed stuff, too. Um, we'll see how he puts it together in year two as a sophomore. I said, like I said, he had four appearances as a freshman, seven ERA, uh, had a really interesting first collegiate appearance where he pitched one inning. I believe it was against central Michigan. They allowed seven runs that inning, but none of them were earned and he struck out the side. So yeah, you know, I I don't know what that says about a guy, Uh, but he's a guy that, that the TCU coaching staff is really excited about that. The Baylor staff was really disappointed to lose. And those two things tell me, uh, that this is a good pickup for the Horn Frogs. He's also a NorCal kid. He comes mm-hmm. from St. Francis High School, which is funny because some of you guys might know that's where I teach, but my school is an all-girls school. There is another St. Francis High School in <laughs> Mountain View, California, um, and he he comes from that uh, St. Francis, which I really am glad that he's transferring to TCU for a, a multiple amount of reasons. Number one being that this poor kid has had to go from brown and yellow as his high school colors to green and yellow as his college colors. And now he gets to wear a uniform that looks a little sharp and clean with some purple yeah. and white. So um, just for appearances sake, very happy to have, to have yes. Blake um, he, be a horn frog. He did pretty well in the brown and yellow, though, I will say. He was the Northern yeah, was California pitcher of the of year pitcher. as a senior. He, he pitched 70 innings, uh, struck out 95, and had a .8 ERA his senior year of high school. So this is and- a guy that... Has has good stuff. Uh, it didn't work out in year one at Baylor. Maybe it'll work yeah. out year two at TCU. Well, and I'll tell you too, the league that he plays in, um, and, like it's pretty loaded. It's a it's a great baseball league. It's a great athletics league. Um, St. Francis Mountain View is an absolute powerhouse, and also um, as pretty as a lot of colleges are. Uh, there's there's mm-hmm. quite a bit of money at that institution. It is it is very very nice. So um, he'll feel right at home at TCU. Absolutely, he will. Uh, another pitcher that was added to the roster today is Arkansas transfer Zach Morris, left-handed pitcher. What? Yes, Saved by the Bell, Zach Morris, spelled the same way, quaffed hair, beautiful eyes, all of it. Uh, lefty from Arkansas, he's a rising senior, um, a, a career 4.7 ERA and 61 appearances for his career. Um, about a 9K9 guy uh not a ton of strikeouts not a ton of walks either frog fans will remember him he made a couple of appearances against tcu in the 2023 season that didn't go very well um but he is a he's a solid arm he's, he's a good addition to this this rotation to this bullpen um and uh just Can't another him, join him. another good another good addition uh, another left-handed arm melissa you know I, yeah. I, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago that you know the beginning of tw- the 2022 season TCU had maybe one reliable left-handed arm on the roster and it was River Ridings. Now River Ridings is gone and they've got six arms that are going to, that are either here last year or coming in, in the transfer portal that are left-handed pitchers that are all probably going to be pretty solid contributors to this thing in 2024. So uh, a really nice job by Kirk Sarlos and, and new coach Dave Lawn and TJ Bruce and John Delora and the rest of that, that staff and, and, a group of folks at, at, at TC baseball that have, have put together a very impressive transfer class uh, along with a very impressive incoming freshman class. Um, and, you know, Zach Morris and Blake Rogers are just the latest two. Uh, I've been told that. So if, if you 
are on Horn Frog Blitz, you know that I have a working spreadsheet of what the roster looks like for TCU baseball. Um, I might tweet out that link uh, at some point too. Um, uh, but r- right now, they've got 42 names on that list. The cap for rosters in 2024 is 40. There is typically some some fall attrition that happens at every school. Guys find out, oh, I'm probably not going to play here or um, – Hey, I think I just want to take my chances somewhere else. And so there will be another kind of season of the transfer portal that happens this fall. That's pretty standard these days. We saw, um, I think one or two names transfer out this time of year from TCU. We saw a handful transfer out from Texas tech this, you know, early fall last year as well. Um, so right now they're at 42. Uh, the plan I've been told is to maybe add one more infielder, um, from the portal, uh, a guy that can back up Anthony Silva, if needed, uh, and potentially one more arm as well. So they're not quite done in the transfer portal yet. They are expecting some some attrition this fall. It happens naturally, and you got to be prepared yeah. for it. Um, and so we'll see how that all shakes out in the fall. I would be very surprised if TCU even stays at the maximum 40. I would be uh, – my expectation is that they'll probably end up rolling with 36 to 38 guys on the roster. Um, it's just more manageable that way. You can get guys a little bit more playing time that way. Uh, and, and you're not feeling, you know, if you've got a full 40 men roster, you know, someone's getting left out at some point, uh, 36 to 38 is a little bit more manageable. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in fall ball. Like you said, there, there are going to be some guys that that have to go in order to get underneath that, that roster cap, but then also you're going to lose some guys you wish would have stayed because the competition, especially with the transfer portal, you've got guys that have proven it at this level. It makes it harder, I think, you know, to to make it onto the field as, as a freshman, unless you're special. We saw several freshmen be pretty special last year. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I think it's there's a lot of reason to be very, very excited about the future of TCU baseball. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we all kind of were where somebody was was making up rumors that Kirk Sarlis was retiring at the end of the season. And now now we're looking we're looking at I, it was one of the dumbest I, things we've I still have no idea where that came from. Yeah, I don't I have, either. I have and no I clue I yeah. why that was why that was brought up as a possible thing, because there was zero truth to that. But uh, yeah, you know, whatever people like rumor season is always fun, I suppose. Always fun. Not as much fun as football season. And Jamie, after a long and just unbearable off season, the next time we podcast, we'll be talking about actual things happening with actual TCU football. And mm-hmm. we are, we'll, we're just over a month away from opening day and a showdown with Big 12 foe and new rival Colorado and Deion Sanders and company coming to Fort Worth. Um, I don't know if he'll know the names of any of the players on his roster. We sure won't because they're all different. But uh, we're we're not too far away from getting to, to watch an actual football game. And I know that we are both super fired up for that. Absolutely, we are. And, you know, yep, you yep. nailed it. Hey, nailed it. Le- thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. She is Melissa Trewasser. I am Jamie Plunkett. You can find her on Twitter at the Coach Melissa. You can find me there at Frog Preacher. Or I guess it's X now, but I'm not going to yeah. call it that. It's Twitter still in my heart. Uh, please make sure that you've liked and subscribed the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up at Frogs Insider on YouTube and Instagram as well. Um, and go ahead and just hit that share button and send the, send this episode to a friend. Send this episode to a horn frog that you think would really enjoy hearing more about TCU athletics as we get closer to the football season. You guys are going to want to make this a regular staple of your week because I think we might be adding an episode a week as we preview some things. I haven't mentioned that to Melissa. I'm just throwing yeah, that out is, right now. 
Um, but I think there might be an opportunity to grow the show a little bit this fall as we really kick up football season. we got a fun, fun announcement as well coming next week that I'm really excited mm-hmm. about. That um, you did tell me about. So we got that. Yeah. Going. So you're, 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 I'm one for two. Um, oh, hey, is our, is our second episode a week going to be breaking down that week's performance of um, St. Francis flag football or I mean, obviously, is it going to be? Yeah. Okay. Obviously. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's good. So we're going to, we're going to have to do some extensive seven on seven girls flag football uh, film analysis. Hey, listen, as we'll talk about at some point, uh, there is a TCU connection besides just me to our yes. seven on seven flag football. So we'll, uh, we'll dive pretty, into that story. A, a pretty, pretty significant, significant one. one. Yeah. And uh, that was a fun the haters thing are kinda, so mad the haters are going to be really upset but uh it's, it's a cool connection i'm glad you had that opportunity to catch up with someone and uh yeah. you know i think it'll be i think it'll be a really fun kind of thread to to keep pulling on yeah. as your flag football season progresses so but that's it for melissa i'm jamie this is the frogs intro podcast we'll talk to you next time go frogs go frogs